hey, Holly, again, thank you for coming on and spending some time. Uh, really what we do on this podcast, we, we talk a lot about the journey. We talk a lot about how you got to where you're at today and why, right? There was a big thing on why. And we talked even to your husband about we have an absence of purpose. And so people don't really follow that passion and purpose to go really excel at something. Well, you've done that. You obviously have a passion for fitness and nutrition, and you are at the top of the level of that. You're from Australia. So talk us, take us back there and talk about how you came, uh, you know, to the United States, but, and then your fitness and nutrition journey. Sure. God, I'm going to have to like throw away back now. So uh, first off, I'm 31, um, and I moved here to Florida about three years ago, actually. So prior to that, I have obviously lived, uh, resided in Australia for uh, most of my adult life. So um, I guess how I kind of came into the nutrition, exercise, science space was because I was really sporty as a kid, like most of us. Uh, I think... Um, you know, you go through primary school and high school, and you have generally a bit of an interest in some kind of sport. And I mean, uh, my parents put us in everything. Like, we did track athletics, basketball, like, competed uh, for the country. And then mm. you kind of get to about age 16 when you're a female in Australia, and you go, right, so I've got two choices here. I can be a professional athlete in the sport of netball, and get paid a really lousy wage and by the time you're 30 like then you've got to start your life again um or you can go and get educated so i didn't really want to put my best or anything against sport in australia unfortunately there isn't really a long career lifespan for any sport as a female which really sucks there's really only uh, afl like that's the australian football equivalent um, and that's, that's for guys, but there's nothing for women. So, um, I had a strong interest in sport. And so I went on and did my undergraduate degree in nutrition and food science. Um, and I still wanted to be active. And I kind of, I tried my luck at, you know, sporting, at sports stuff. I did sprinting. I competed for two years, uh, at my college, but it just didn't fit my lifestyle anymore. So I just found myself in the gym working out, uh, because it fit my schedule. So, I was doing my undergraduate degree, um, and then I realized after four years, I'm like, fuck, I know nothing. Um, I really <laughs> because I still have so many questions. So I went on, did my master's degree uh, in dietetics. That was another two years. Uh, still went, wow, fuck, I still know nothing. Uh, <laughs> I need to keep learning more. So uh, I think that's kind of when you start to throw yourself into like the literature, reading, uh, learning, and that's actually kind of when I first found Lane in that sense online so he was this you know science guy from America um, was really interested in the things I was interested in as far as listening and nutrition and he was able to answer a lot of the questions that I still had even after you know several years spent at university so um, yeah I think just having worked with a lot of individuals in sport in general as a sports nutritionist um, I a client of mine actually said, hey, you should do bodybuilding. You'd be great. I was like, yeah, I so. I found out that year um, that the world championships were in Dubai, and Australians, we love to travel. Like, we are not afraid of I could see. So I, my goal was, okay, well, if I'm going to do this bodybuilding thing, heck, there's a world championship in a place I want to go. So my goal was I had to win state 
win nationals and then get my ass over to Dubai. And I, I did exactly that. Took home gold, won the world championship, and I've kind of just stuck with it since then. So, so hold on. So you were, someone said, hey, you should do this. You didn't have any passion or interest in bodybuilding. You love nutrition and working out. But then you're like, Okay, um, and this, and I'm going to do it in one year, and I'm going <laughs> to get my card, and I'm going to go badass. to the World Championship. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I, um, I had done weight training for probably 12 months, but honestly, having had sprinting, like track one and two, long jump, God, if someone dare mm. ask to do a 400, I might do the relay, oh, the grudge. Um, so I've always done running. Um, so I was honestly a cardio bunny. Like mm. we did so many like hit circuits, boot camps. Like I was like fit, fit, fit. Um, and I actually really had to learn how to kind of oppose that mindset as I moved more and progressed further in my career as a fitness model or like female bodybuilding, I guess. Mm -hmm. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a completely different approach. There's so much more resistance training and I had to learn like, you know what, if physique and body composition is your main goal, uh, you really need to kind of pull back on the amount of like fitness and cardio stuff that you're doing if you want it to not directly impede with your results. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was kind of a big shift in mindset uh, for me. So, so where does this discipline come from? Is it uh, the way you were raised? Is it your mother and father? Or, you know, where, where does that come from? Um, I think so. I think, um, I guess you can always look at your childhood and I guess you get the good and the bad. You can kind of, they kind of butt up pretty close together, actually. Uh, I think my, my, the way that I was raised, I usually only got praise if I was successful at something. So, we didn't have like the, the background where your parents are like, you know, there's unconditional love. They tell you they love you all the time. It was like, if you did well at a test at school, it was like, you're the best in the world. Mm -hmm. Or if you did well at your sporting event, it was like, wow, you did amazing. And that was kind of the only way that I knew um, to kind of gain appreciation or like acceptance. So I think that just kind of stuck with me through adulthood. So I, maybe I guess is how I was raised. <laughs> wow. Okay, so that's an interesting aspect. Yeah, um, I, I, the performance-based, or or I guess success-based performance, if you would, mm -hmm. if you want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. So you perform at that age because you know that's how you get acceptance. That's how you get uh, noticed and yeah. loved and things yeah. like that. Um, so that's yeah. really that. I think that's the first time somebody's really spoken. Yeah, about it's that. it's funny. I literally had this exact conversation with with my coach. I have a you know a, a coach that I talk with every week, and um, literally had this conversation about that. Right, mm -hmm. like the you mentioned unconditional love. Right, there's there's conditional love and unconditional love. Conditional love is in the truest sense is not love. Right, because you have to perform to earn it. Right, yeah. like mm -hmm. unconditional love. And, and there's very similar things, whether it's in, in parents, I'm sure your parents didn't directly mean to do that. Like they didn't say, Oh, I only love Holly when she's good or when she performs. But like, I think a lot of us culturally, and I'm guilty of it with my kids, I think is, is I say like, I praise my son when he does good things. And then, and then I only praise the other one when they do good things. And it's like just wired in us mm -hmm. as parents to do that. And, and I, I know for me, I was the same, right? I was motivated yeah. because I knew to get what I wanted, I had to perform. Mm. Yeah. And exactly like you said, I don't think it was that they were doing it intentionally or like it was nothing malicious. It's just, I think 
some families, like they're just really good communicators and they're really like emotionally available. Uh, I can think about my father, like complete no emotion, basically a rock. I don't think he'd ever said more than like three words. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have a long-term effect on like your upbringing. Like I, I love my dad. I love my mom. But uh, I guess, yeah, it really depends on like that uh, emotional you know, the conversations that kind of go on uh, and that family dynamic when you're a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the crazy thing is, is that, you know, your husband's a badass. You're a badass. <laughs> What's the competitive nature like in that household? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you don't want to know. We actually, we're going go-karting tomorrow and it goes way, it extends way further to his dad as well. So, like, the last two weeks, like, we've just been giving each other shit. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to, Okay, so uh, we're gonna, I want to get into nutrition stuff here in a little bit, but you did mention something that uh, I think maybe kicks off this conversation. The strength is, and conditioning? Yep, yep. yep. So the di- the difference in mindset, right? You said you were a cardio bunny, right? You, you always were, were running, and that was big because your track background. Um, uh, the misconception for a lot of women, my wife early on was, and, and I, I trained her for a while while I was still playing, and she learned to love resistance training. But like before yeah. that, it was, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to look like a dude. Like, I don't want to like, so debunk that for us right off the bat, right? Go ahead and talk through the difference between, you know, getting bulky, right? That girls like, oh, I can't, I can't do squats or I can't do shrugs or I can't do these, you know, these complex movements that are, you know, going to build good muscle. That's not going to make you look like a dude. No, absolutely. I think um, if only women knew like the amount of effort that goes into the resistance training of like the world's best like fitness and bikini competitors, um, I think their mindset would change dramatically. Uh, women can train exactly the same as men. They are not going to get bulky. Like just to put this out there, like I'll, I'll use myself as an example. It's very easy. Uh, I am in the top 10 for fitness or figure, uh, and I have a lot of muscle mass. Now, I train six days a week. I'm in the gym for maybe two hours every day, um, and I I would say I do not look like a dude. Like mm-hmm. I have a lot of muscle, but I think that the misconception is that for women that maybe just start uh, resistance training and they're not really familiar with uh, their nutritional intake, Generally, what happens is during that building phase where you're putting on lean body mass, um, you're not dieting down. So there's going to be like whatever body fat you have as you go through that building phase. Yes, you may put on a little bit of weight on the scale, but it's good mass. Like Mm -hmm. you're just adding like a positive amount of weight to your body and you may look a little bit different. But the benefits um, extend way beyond that. It's when you finally start to diet down and you remove that existing body fat, now you've created this amazing sculpture that's kind of hidden and lying underneath, and then that's what you finally get to see. So I think the hardest thing for women is kind of going through that transition phase of putting on the muscle and doing the work, uh, because it is a little uncomfortable, especially Mm -hmm. if your goal is to put on the most amount of muscle you can in a given period of time, 
um, yeah, you're probably going to have a very short period where you're not feeling your best. So something that I'm a really big advocate for, um, and I try to be really transparent as I'm going through each of those processes, um, is just to explain to women like how this all works. I show what I look like when I'm stage lean. I show them what I look like throughout that process of building muscle. Like right now, I've just come off a 27-pound weight increase. Mm, 27. Yeah. So from my stage weight, I'm sitting at about 130 pounds. Uh, I get up to about 160 at my heaviest. That is my all-time heaviest. It's just under. Um, but I put on eight pounds of lean body mass. But that is what was necessary for me to put on enough muscle so that when I die down again, mm-hmm. now I'm in the top three in the mm-hmm. world because I needed to do. So it's it's a transition. It's not the forever body, but it needs to happen. They are a their, their sex drive is zero. Like you have absolutely no libido. You are pr- like the primal instinct is you are thinking about food. Nothing else mm. matters. Mm. So as you start to consume more calories, you start to put on a little bit more lean body mass. Um, you know, that's one of the first things that, that comes back. The second thing, I guess, is just having energy, uh, having improvements in your strength. Uh, I know a lot of people get preoccupied with, you know, being a certain weight or seeing a certain number on the scale. But um, you could wake up and have the worst morning. Um, you maybe don't see yourself in the mirror that you weigh, the way that you want to. But if you get in the gym and you hit a PR, like your squat max, or like just something, you, like even you, your performance is better, like that negativity just goes immediately. So I, I love going through the building phase because – I love getting in the gym and being able to hit PRs, feel strong, have energy, because all of that is taken away, um, you know, if you're walking around really lean all the time. So I guess from the physical standpoint, like that is a really big positive of putting on lean body mass. Um, the mood improvement, people don't think about the psychological aspect of dieting and being lean all the time. Um the research is very clear, like as you become leaner and your calories are more restricted, um, obviously you're very fixated on food, um, your mood is terrible, you know, irritability, frustration. Like I remember, like I've had a couple of clients that have done shows and this is at the extreme level, we're talking about professional athletes, but you know, they've given away their pet dog because the dog pissed them off. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> frustrated them. So, like the husband, God. So, you know, there's a lot of benefits from the psychological standpoint um, and just being able to get your hormones back to within normal ranges, you know, having a little bit of extra body fat, having extra muscle. Usually that means that you've got return to normal leptin levels. So that's your your uh, key hunger hormone. Uh, they return to normal and now you're no longer thinking about food all the time. For me, when I come back out of uh, the competitive um, like comp season, for the first time this year, maybe 12 months, I've actually sat down with Lay and I was like, oh my God, I'm full. I haven't pushed a plate away for about 12 months because I did so many back-to-back shows. Um, it took a little while for me to get my hormones back to normal, which is a, a normal uh, response to being so lean. And I think people um, that aren't like, really involved in the fitness community uh, they don't realize some of the negatives from mm-hmm. being so, so lean. Mm-hmm. So, so much positive stuff that comes yeah. from 
building phase. Yeah. Well, and the other thing about strength training, people don't realize is how many calories you can burn through a good full body strength training session. They think the best way to burn calories, I'm just going to run 10 miles, but that doesn't build muscle. That doesn't give you the shape that most women, if, if we're speaking generalities, most women are looking for. It, it ends right. up making you, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but I guess skinny fat is the term, as opposed yeah. to that lean, muscular look that most women think that they want, uh, but but they're just going about it the wrong way. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, I mean, you could go for, let's say you went for a 45-minute um, you know, run. You might be able to burn, I'll just pull a random number out, maybe you, you burn 600 calories in that run. Um, you could do the same amount of like energy expend by doing a resistance training, but that modality of exercise mm-hmm. is the type that's actually going to help you build muscle. So it's like double positive, right. burning the same calories, and you're doing it in a method that's actually helping contribute to a significant amount of muscle. So yeah, so I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that come, men and women, come to you for advice. What is that? What is the number one thing that you hear? The number one concern that you hear, uh, both for men and women. Um, my answer to that would differ. So I'll start with females first, since we're on the the female uh, bandwagon. Um, I think so many women, um, and they will tell me, like Holly, I have been eating. X number of calories for a really long time, let's say like 11, 1200 calories. Um, I feel like I work so hard when I train X number of days cardio. I do all this exercise and I feel like I'm still unable to make any progress. Um, you know, I can't lose weight and I feel like I'm starving myself all the time. Um, that is so incredibly common. And uh, I'm not sure whether Lane mentioned this in his uh, podcast with you guys, but. Um, I guess that phenomenon is the process of metabolic adaptation. Do you guys, are you familiar with that? Explain that. I've heard that before, but we did not talk about it with Lane. So yeah, fill us in. So uh, I guess thinking about like from an evolutionary standpoint, the human body and how it works and the mechanisms, um, the body was developed or designed to withstand famine. Obviously going back to the hunter-gatherer days, We didn't have such a plethora of food available to us. So we kind of uh, were derived and built. The machinery we have is to sustain from famine. So the way that our body compensates for limited food availability or low calories is that our metabolism uh, eventually slows down. So everything operates a little bit slower um, and we eventually become really efficient um, at everything that we do. So we can actually end up having uh, a much slower metabolism and our actual energy needs go down significantly. So there are a couple of uh, reasons why that happens. Um, some of that is in response to a decrease in the amount of lean body mass that we have, so our muscle. Um, as our lean body mass decreases, we actually have lesser energy requirements. Um, but the other part of that uh, is just that metabolic adaptation process. So, uh, unfortunately, there are so many people that have really low maintenance calories. So that is the amount of calories that people consume that maintain mm-hmm. their body weight. It's ridiculously lower than what we would otherwise predict based on how active they are, how much muscle they have, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the concept of reverse dieting, 
uh, is something that I work a lot with, um, particularly in women. Obviously, there's a lot more, I think, societal pressure for females to be in a certain body shape or a body type. So it seems to be more common with females to have tried to diet more frequently over the course of their life. So uh, the reverse diet is something that I work with a lot for women. We obviously have a book on that uh, that helps you kind of be able to reintroduce more calories over time, um, making it far more easier to sustain. You have a better ability to go out and be social, actually eat something that you want, have a drink and not have to freak out worrying that you're going to put on 10 pounds. Right. And you can do that with relatively uh, little body weight regain if you do it in a correct um, and slow and gradual manner. So talk a, talk a little about the importance of, so we've talked about resistance training. That's another aspect of resistance training. The more muscle you have, the more calories you burn at rest. And so mm-hmm. if you're somebody like me that I just love to eat, it, yeah. it behooves me, it, it benefits me to have more muscle mass. Because now when I diet down or when I reduce my calories, I don't have to go in as much of a restriction because yeah. of the way I burn calories at a, at, a, at a heavier weight. So talk about that, the importance of, again, just having muscle mass and how that affects how much food you can eat. No, I honestly, I think you just nailed it right there. Like, Bingo. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> don't make his head any on. bigger. Thank you. <laughs> I don't need to say that again. You did a great job of explaining that then. Yeah, I mean, um, muscle has a greater requirement for energy than does adipose fat tissue. So it makes sense, like, if you are prepared to put in an investor time in any kind of exercise, why not do it in a modality um, or an exercise form that is going to help contribute to building muscle? So resistance training is an excellent way to do that, to getting in the gym and lifting weights. But there are other, like, there are plenty of sports that um, still offer resistance, um, but cardio and running around generally isn't one of them. But, yeah, having more muscle uh, will absolutely contribute to having a greater um, basal metabolic requirement, like just, in bed, completely at rest, if you have more muscle, let's say you have your old self that has more body fat and your new self that has more lean body mass, but you're exactly the same weight, the one with the more muscle, greater muscle mass, is going to be able to have greater calorie intake. Mm, yeah. Interesting. I want to go back to the the um, metabolic adaptation, right? So let, obviously there's fads and diets and there's new things every year. And this and so we see people you know, up and down. What do you call it? Was it bullet? Um, the dieting deal where you're up and down. What what's the term that you use, Ben? Uh, I'm going blank Never right now. Mind. Yo-yo <laughs> dieting. Yo-yo, yo-yo dieting. Sorry, Boy, you're you're um, a lot of help, man. So, yeah, yeah, gosh, you're the fitness guy. Come on, bro. <laughs> uh, but okay, so so what you're saying on that metabolic adaptation is that the more you diet, the more you restrict food and restrict your calories, and then come out of it, it's going to be harder to lose weight the next time. Correct, because now your body is holding on to as many calories as possible. Is that correct? Yeah. So let's say um, you undertook like a 12-week diet um, and it was pretty aggressive. Maybe you lost a good amount of body fat in that process, Um, but you did it to a point where it was so restrictive and so extreme, um, i.e. very low calories or maybe at the opposite end of the spectrum. You were just doing so much exercise, so your energy deficit was crazy. Um, if you then try to return to something that is considered normal, even if you didn't go back out the very next day after your diet's done and 
eat like a Kentucky Fried Chicken, ten pieces of chicken, go nuts, whatever it was. Like, even if you did it a normal amount of food um, thereafter, because your metabolism um, has become so suppressed in response to the restrictive um, nature of the diet, um, it's very easy for your body to put on a lot of body fat because you're eating calories up here, but your maintenance calories are actually somewhere way back down where you were at the end of the mm. diet. And that's a big gap between those two intakes. So usually what happens is people will end the diet, they give no consideration to what they're going to do at the end. Then they try to go back to their old eating behaviors, like just something that's more sustainable. Um, and they put on so much body fat. And then immediately in response to that, most people will go, oh my God, I just put on all this body fat again. Mm-hmm. I have to diet again because right. now the problem is they've never actually let their metabolism fully restore. So it's still down here, you know, somewhere close to the center of the earth. And in order to lose fat beyond that, they have to restrict even more. So over time, we tend to see people um, and their calories becoming lower and lower and lower. And the amount of activity that they have to do to maintain their body weight greater and greater and greater and that's why we're seeing such crazy extremes um you know just being presented to us with cases so it's really sad well how do you how do you balance that i mean it it would be natural i think that's the natural way of if you if you diet the diet's up 12 weeks later first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna go hoard some food Mm -hmm. you're just gonna like tyler (laughs) You're just going to go <laughs> smorgasbord the somewhere, Chinese right? Chinese oh, yeah. buffet. So, I mean, how do you, how would you suggest you balance? I, I know every body's individually different. How do you bridge the gap? Yes. Yeah. I can give you a quick story and then I'll answer that. So many competitors, if we go back maybe 10, 15 years before we kind of had the understanding about this adaptive mechanism. Um, they would go out after their show because they've dieted for X number of weeks and they've get, foregone all of their favorite foods. I've had people or I've heard of stories of people putting back on like 15 kilograms, like 30, over 30 pounds in seven days. Oh, like after wow. oh my goodness. All of their like favorite chocolate bars, they've gone out and just gone bananas mm-hmm. and they put it all back on like within a week. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think people particularly within the fitness industry now, the competitors are becoming more educated, which is great. Um, and the way to get out of that awful situation with rapid um, body fat regain, or we used to call it the old rebound, um, is to really conservatively reintroduce calories. So for a short period after your like, diet, you really still have to apply quite a bit of cognitive restraint. Like You still have to apply a little bit of discipline especially if you've restricted your calories a lot um, so that you can come back out of it and allow your metabolism to move back up in a positive direction. Because the same way your metabolism adapts down to to dieting, you can also encourage the metabolism to increase too, but you have to do it slowly. So there isn't really um, a, a generally recognized method about how to do this because it is such a new phenomenon. There are probably five or six studies um, that we have, like that are written, that we can kind of go from uh, in the literature today. And there are studies currently going on that will be published soon. But essentially, um, a conservative approach to reintroducing your calories slowly, let's say 
50 calories a week, like you increase by 50, maybe another 50 calories in week two, another 50 calories in week three. So there's still a period where it can be quite difficult if you don't want to regain back a bunch of body fat really quickly. So if, if you're just a, 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 you know, you're not getting ready for a show, you're just a, you know, an everyday person, uh, yep. a female, we'll, we'll speak on that example, we'll continue speaking on that example. How long do you suggest somebody, since they don't have a competition or a show they're getting ready for, how long should I be in a deficit or, or should I be in, on a diet, quote unquote diet? Is it 12 weeks? Is it eight weeks? Is it, it's probably dependent on the person, I get it. But is there a general recommendation of, hey, it's probably not a good idea to go much past this amount of weeks in a deficit? Yeah, that's a really great question. And there's a lot of questions in that question. Uh, <laughs> so honestly, it, it really does depend, uh, like you said. So uh, first off, I would be looking at, you know, what amount of body weight or body fat specifically does this individual need to lose? So um, I think a lot of the time, just in our early discussions with clients that work with us, it is, okay, well, how much weight does this person feasibly need to lose to get to their ideal and can we actually do that in one fat loss phase? Because there's going to be a point, and it depends on somebody's metabolism before they start a diet, um, you know, how far can we actually bring their calories down before they're at what we would consider um, a hard like, calorie floor? So the, the little, I guess, test that I do with a lot of clients um, or new people starting on is if you know what your current calories are, that's awesome because this is a really easy equation. Um, if you are consuming anywhere from 30 to 40 calories per kilogram of your lean body mass, um, that is what we would consider within a normal range um, of calories for somebody that is just moderately active. If your calorie intakes are lower than 30 calories per kilogram of lean body mass, then that is not a place for you to even consider starting a diet because that sucks. Like, you're going to be eating a very low amount of calories based on how much muscle you have. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of one of the, I guess, starting rule of thumb questions that I would ask people. Um, and if they're already really low and so they've still got, like, a lot of body weight to lose, I would be saying, hey, we're not starting a diet when you start working with me. We're starting with a reverse diet. We need to get your metabolism back to normal before mm-hmm. we can even consider dieting because otherwise I'm going to be taking you down to a thousand calories and that's not sustainable for anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I like the, I like how you guys always talk about finding something that's sustainable uh, because I think one of the negative connotations with diet is that, okay, if I'm on a diet, there's a start and there's a finish, right? Whereas if you're trying to, like Ben mentioned, like not, if you're not competing for a show or, you don't have, you know, a, a deadline that you have to make this certain thing is how do I live a, a healthy lifestyle? How do I maintain either a physique that I would like to, or an energy level or all the things that go with a healthy lifestyle, but how do I do that for the rest of my life? So are you saying, okay, if, if you're in a fat loss mode, like you do want to lose body fat, then you phase it. And then you, you, so you go through phases and then you reverse diet and then diet and then you go through that. But what about the people that are just like, I just want to be clean and I want to just gradually, I want to gradually take some body fat off and be healthy. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, everybody has a certain expectation about how their lifestyle should be. Some people are really, uh, you know, headstrong about, you know, I can do this, you know, a bit of 
sacrifice, a bit of difficulty, doesn't bother me, let's get in, let's do it. Other people really value their social lives. They value being able to go out and have drinks, eat whatever they want off the menu, and they don't want to have to go through that like difficult phase. So, you know, I think everybody has a bit of a different opinion about what their ideal might be. So um, for some people, it's probably like setting a realistic expectation about how long it's going to take you to get to that happy space may be a lot longer than it is for somebody else who's willing to do a little bit more work, um, you know, in the meantime. So I tend to look at people, like one of the questions I always ask is like, what is your ultimate goal? Is there somebody that you like the look of? Um, do you have a bit of an indication or an idea about your, the body weight that you want to be at? How many calories do you think you would like to be able to eat and just enjoy? So I look at, you know, both of those goals for people and then we try and work out like let's bridge the gap. So it may be that somebody has to go through a 20-week diet phase and maybe we, we throw in a few diet breaks. That is basically a period where uh, we take calories back to your maintenance. So you're just in a week where there's no active, active fat loss. We're just holding calories steady. That process alone helps to mitigate some of the um, flowing of the metabolism and it also helps to mitigate um, lean body mass loss, which is what you want when you're yeah. dieting. You yep. serve much of that muscle in. So we'll take that phase and maybe they only got halfway through their goal. We reverse diet for a similar period of time and then we repeat that. So the process of getting to somebody's ideal can be very short if they don't have huge aspirations, but if they've got big goals, uh, I think being uh, aware and realistic with the time frames that it actually can take for somebody to get there. It is possible to get to your goal, but I think what people don't like hearing is, hey, this is going to take you 12 months or you know, maybe two mm. years through this process. If you want to do it in a way that isn't going to interfere with your social life or just your lifestyle in general. Got it. Okay. So let's, let's ask some female specific questions here. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty common thing. And, and my wife, we've, we've got four kids. So she went through three pregnancies. We had twins on our last go. Um, you know, she was someone that had no issues maintaining, you know, her body weight and where she wanted to be, and then introduce pregnancies, hormones, kids. And now that's something that, that is, is constantly on her mind. And is something that she is always wanting to work through and always has questions. She's like, I just don't understand. I used to be able to eat whatever I want. And then now kids, I can't like, that's not the case. I have to be very conscious of it. So can you talk us through if, if that's real, uh, or in, do you have those conversations with clients and explain maybe why and then what they can do? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think, again, um, whether or not you are somebody that has had children or whether you haven't, you are not all of a sudden, um, you know, you don't go, well, my metabolism doesn't come into play. Like there's always that conversation. So I think for women, even if they have had kids, um, there's probably still been at some point like restrictive calories, trying to diet. Um, so they are still um, just as likely as the next person to have metabolic slowing. So um, it may be the case, maybe that they are unable to lose weight previously did or they feel like they can't eat the same foods anymore because they put on weight a little easier. It's probably not anything specifically to do with pregnancy itself. 
um, it may just be that they don't any that they no longer have enough time to do all the resistance training that they used to do. Um, it might be that they are not as active anymore because more time is spent, you know, doing kids' activities, which is normal. Um, it might be that there's also a combination of some metabolism issues in there. It's less likely to be hormonal. I think a lot of people um, say, oh, my hormones are all messed up. Um, it is very, it, it's much less common than I think people think. Um, and there are a lot of like jargon terminologies that are thrown around, um, adrenal fatigue, that is not a recognized uh, condition um, at all uh, in the medical community, but it's still kind of something that people loosely talk about. Um, but there are di- like hard diagnoses for people if they have like, you know, low adrenals or, you know, they're not producing cortisol, like there are conditions for this. So in that case, I think the very first thing that women can do, or guys as well, is like go and get your blood taken, like get mm, a full yeah. hormone pattern, yeah. get the facts. Right. Like data is really helpful in that position and you can quickly rule out like, okay, well, there's actually nothing hormonally wrong right now. So then we start to look at, okay, well, let's have a look at the lifestyle factors. Is there anything lifestyle that could be, you know, preventing you from getting to your goal? Maybe you're just not as active anymore. Maybe your training isn't as intense as it used to be. Maybe your metabolism has slowed because you dieted a lot in your life. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're conversations that I have all the time and it, it's probably case by case. Okay. Yeah. What about clients, um, like say married couples and one, say it's, it's the, the, the wife and she wants to, you know, go on this, this weight loss journey. How, how do you see the success differ if their spouse is on the journey with them or supports it, or they're just still a, I'm, I'm consuming whatever I want. I mean, do you face that as a challenge and how do you address that? Yeah, it's definitely that's a personal. That was personal. That's you with Tiff. That was your hey, Tiff's on a diet. And Tiff is on a diet and I'm not. You ate the whole pig out the back. I dieted for 33 years. I can take a break. Good question. Uh, every diet I've ever done, I've never had a supportive partner. Well, they've just not been dieting at the time. So uh, Lane and I, we've, we've been living together for just over – three and a half years now together for coming up to five years during that time he's never been dieting while i'm dieting so Mm. it really makes it challenging um i think you do have to have a lot of extra willpower um for me like being new to parent life so lane has two children through his previous marriage i'm stepmom i've never babysat a child in my entire life until i moved over here and was like hey you've got two kids now so (laughs) Those kind of challenges, I guess, just having, you know, you know, kid food, fun food, high-calorie food available, it definitely makes it harder. So um, I guess there are a lot of strategies that people can um, employ to help with that. Um, just, you know, putting up one barrier of access, so whether it's putting stuff at the back of the cupboard, putting it out of sight, like just little things like that can make it a bit easier, um, but it you really have to have a lot of intrinsic drive, I think, to be motivated to continue dieting if you don't have a partner that's also doing it. But yeah. you can be supportive in other ways as far as, like, you know, verbally, like, you're doing such a great job, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> like, look at you go, 
<laughs> you writing those down, Tyler? Yeah. You writing that down? <laughs> or 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 just slapping slapping the ice cream bowl out of her hand? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. No. <laughs> you know, I, I want to get. I, I want to drill down because there are a lot of specific, really specific um, battles. Have like like when I'm guiding for shows, like there's an end date you've got to get on show, uh, on stage so like you have to look a certain way or like forget about winning so like i just say to him like if you see me even hovering in the kitchen <laughs> 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 very like i said to him like when it, when we're not in the diet setting i'm like now you know i'm gonna fire up at you and get pissed off when you tell me this but you know i'm I'm just letting you know I still love you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it is teamwork. Yeah. It's definitely teamwork. I, I wanted to drill down a little bit because there's a lot of specific questions that, that women deal with. And I'm mm-hmm. sure, Ben, you've dealt with this a lot as, as far as uh, training. But cellulite, the battle of cellulite, can you walk us through you know, how you how – you, how, <laughs> How you overcome it? Because a lot of women right now are dealing with that issue. Yeah, it's it's super common. Um, again, it probably comes down to spending more time on the calories necessary for fat loss. Um, I think that the older we get, uh, the greater the prevalence, I guess, of um, cellulite. But the same principles would apply um, for any kind of person wanting to lose body fat. So if you are somebody that has a lot of cellulite, uh, that probably means that you need to go through a fat loss phase. You need to be in that fat loss phase long enough to you know, get rid of the, those lasting final bits of body fat. Like people, the same kind of thing can happen with uh, like storing body fat around your stomach area or women is usually, you know, they store a lot of body fat around the sides, the glutes. Um, you just have to be in a deficit longer. Mm-hmm. It, and if, if you're already on really low calories trying to do that and to get rid of those final little bit of like sticky body fat, um, you probably have to tackle it at the next diet. Like, it's a, it's a tough process, um, and I think a lot of people just don't have the patience to, to get there. It's something that you can get rid of if you apply yourself, um, but, you know, the longer you, the older we get and the more body fat we accrue over time, it just means that there's more work. So, yeah, I, I wish I had a nice fix, but there's lipo, but it's going to come back. <laughs> so what about targeting that right so obviously calorie deficit like that's the only way to to reduce the the fat molecules right Uh, Right. but what about like like you said okay legs thighs glutes and the the thought is well if i do more lunges or squats i'll get rid of the cellulite like can you target specific Mm -hmm. areas by whether it's exercises or, or, or anything else or a wrap or something like that can you target those areas Nope, unfortunately you cannot. That's not the answer people want to hear, but, you know, here's what you can do. Um, I guess the common idea would be, okay, you go and do more lower body work. What that is going to do, it's not targeting the body fat. What that's doing is creating the shape. So if you wanted to have, you know, better shaped legs, you need to do the work, you need to build them up, then 
when you diet down, like then that will reveal the shape that you've worked hard to create. Um, there is no way to spot reduce body fat. You might have, you know, flabby triceps. I get my, I put all my body fat on around like my arms, my face. Like I, you know, it will eventually come off but I just need to spend time dieting. So there is nothing that you can do uh, unless you go and have liposuction or some of these new therapies like I think it's cryotherapy. It's yeah, like the freezing, yeah. The fat cells um, and they literally like disintegrate. You're, you know, literally killing off. It's like cell mitosis. Like they're done. Um, but if you continue to eat the same way and you didn't change anything about your metabolism – over time, that will come back. It's not a long-term permanent solution. I wish that was the case. Like today, I could go and have liposuction. I might get rid of the fat on the back of my legs. Great. But if I continue just to eat the same way and train the same way um, without doing anything specifically about improving my metabolism, it will come back eventually. Mm. So you can't out-cheat the system. The body is very... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a point there that, that I'm glad that you're speaking on because we talk about sustainability and, and taking a, a patient approach. Unfortunately, most of us aren't patient and most of us want it now and we want it immediately and we don't want to do the work and you just have to accept the fact that it's going to be uncomfortable for a little bit. There's ways you can mitigate that discomfort, no doubt. There's ways that you can make it a little bit quote unquote easier. But the simple fact remains, if you want to get to that certain point, whatever it is in your mind that, that's important to you, there's going to yeah. be some discomfort along the way. One, one question I did have for you, Tyler was talking earlier about, you know, one partner being on a diet and the other one not. How about when they're on diet, when two partners are on a diet together? And it seems like I've heard this time and time again, the husband will drop 10 pounds the first week and the wife will drop half a pound. What's going on there? I mean, I'm, again, it depends, I'm sure. And there's a lot of different answers. But generally speaking, how come it seems to be easier for men to lose weight than women? Well, first off, that's a shit show. Don't ever do that. Don't <laughs> because you're both at the end just gonna want to kill each other. And no, it's not a good um, position to be in. But look, hey, let's hypothetically say that you do do it together. I mean, it's nice to have the other significant other joining you in that process. Um, why do sometimes men? Why would a male lose a lot more body weight uh, in the beginning? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. I guess if you first think off about um, the relative differences in somebody's body weight. So a male, say there is 200 pounds, maybe the female is 130 pounds. So when you think about like the percentage of weight loss, um, you know, 1% for a 200-pound male is going to be significantly more than 1% for a 130-pound mm, yeah. female. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be a relative difference. So you can't really compare apples for apples because you may actually be losing, be losing the same amount of body fat um, as a percentage, right. um, but it's because you weigh different amounts. So that's one of the reasons, I guess, why sometimes the guys will seem to uh, appear to be losing more weight when, in actual fact, it's probably very similar. Um, there isn't really any like scientific reason behind why like someone might all of a sudden lose weight and the other doesn't. Uh, a lot of that comes down to, I guess, uh, inaccuracies with somebody's tracking. Like if they're tracking their calories or macros, maybe they're just 
slipping up a little bit. They're not as accurate as the other person. So maybe they're not in as much of a deficit as they needed. So they're not actually losing that amount of weight. Um, something else that can happen when we first start dieting is your um, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is, uh, we abbreviate that to your NEAT. Um, that is like your involuntary movement, your um, unconscious movement, so like fidgeting, that kind of thing. When we start dieting and we decrease our calories, that unknowingly can go down. So a really good example would be like when I start my shows, um, I was going, I normally I go down and pick up a drink out of the fridge maybe seven or eight times a day. By halfway through my prep, I was hoarding my drinks. I would pick up like three mm. and walk back up the stairs because I I was tired, but I didn't even realize I was doing that. It was just because that's one of the ways that our body starts to compensate for uh, the restricted calories. So um, sometimes just your activity level decreases um, because you're dieting and you don't end up expending as much energy as you thought you were, so you stop losing weight at the same rate. So that's common. Um, I guess there's a whole bunch of other reasons, sure. like sodium intake fiber intake, um, labeling errors, tracking errors, like there's so many things that can cause day-to-day fluctuation. Um, we did a whole webinar on that particular topic. So, yeah, I mean, there are many things. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I want to talk about the idea of fasting um, and what your perspective on it, whether it's intermittent fasting or like a cleanse or something like that, right? Like you see intermittent fasting is, is really a big thing right now. Um, talk through the methodology behind intermittent fasting and then maybe some of the misconceptions on why it works and maybe people abusing it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, look, I think first off, uh, there are several different types of fasting protocols. Um, some of them call for like time-restricted eating where you're fasting for 12 hours and you have an eating window of eight hours. Uh, there are some protocols that call for full days of fasting. Um, some are up to like four or five days of fasting and then you get to eat whatever, you know, for the remaining two days of the week. So there's a lot of different, uh, I guess, fasting approaches. Um I guess there are some theories behind that about, you know, oh, wow, they're optimal for fat loss. Well, no fucking shit. You're restricting your calories, <laughs> eating anything for a few days. Like, naturally, like, it's probably going to be a lot harder to eat back all those calories in a really restricted time window. Um, so, of course, you're probably going to come out in a relative energy deficit and lose some weight, um, you know, through that process. Um, based on the current literature, there is no um, research to suggest that it is better than any other method of dieting. Whether you want to do a ketogenic diet, whether you want to do a balanced diet, maybe you want to do um, low-carb, high-fat, like intermittent fasting is just one of the several hundred. I mean, there's carnivore diets, now there's blood diets. Did you think there's a blood diet? Mm. <laughs> Lane just recently did a video on this on his YouTube channel. Some sicko out there is just eating organs and blood. Anyway, Come on. See. There are so many White different people. facts. <laughs> <laughs> just a guess. Just a guess. White he people. White <laughs> Crazy. Disgusting. But anyway, look, intermittent fasting is not better than any other form of diet um, 
when it comes to successful fat loss. It is about picking a method that you as an individual can stick to. And we all have different food preferences. Like I love sweets. I love baking. I'm never not going to want to not eat carbohydrates. So there's no chance in hell I'm going to volunteer myself for a ketogenic study. Like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to do that. But somebody else might really love, you know, eating the rich cheeses, creamy dishes. They love avocado. They love their full fat, you know, bacon and different kinds of proteins. So it's just important to find something that is uh, fitting with your dietary preferences. And then when you diet, use that approach. But you, you mentioned something about, um, like, cleansing, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. There isn't really enough research at the moment to, uh, I guess, give us any positive insight around like eating to the circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. It is in, still in its infancy and there's a lot of studies going on right now and we will have more information about that soon. But when it comes to cleansing, we have a kidney and we have a liver mm-hmm. and those two organs do all the cleansing and all mm-hmm. the cleaning. Uh, that our body needs. We are very good at maintaining a tight regulation. We keep homeostasis. We don't want anything to go too left of center. So our body is constantly keeping us at equilibrium. So if we consume something that was, uh, you know, really high in sodium, our kidneys are going to excrete the extra sodium so that our sodium levels turn back to normal. Same for different micronutrients toxins to the body, alcohol, ethyl alcohol is one of them. Like we have an enzyme, alcohol dehydrogenase, that's going to help excrete that and eliminate it through the urine. So we have all of the tools as humans to deal with that. Cleanses are absolute bullshit. Mm. Thank Um, you. Thank you for saying that. What about the ones that make you shit your brains out for three days? <laughs> You've been there. <laughs> and there are many, like, what do they call the coffee enemas? That, oh, oh my God. Oh. Where people say they're, like, shoving stuff up their butt so that they can. I'm like. What? Eat some sugar, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, talk, talk a little bit about a little bit more about carbohydrates because I know, I know women some can tend to be a little bit scared of of. You know, let's say you do like carbohydrates, you do like your pastas and things like that. Can you can you guide us a little bit more down that road of why you shouldn't why you don't have to fear carbohydrates? Well, uh, I think I'll first start out with comment is often argued about online, and that is carbohydrates. That's not entirely true, uh, and that is why we have developed the ketogenic diet. So our body can actually um, function just fine um, in the absence of dietary carbohydrate because we can use ketones uh, as a, uh, a fuel product. So our body can actually operate okay after time, but there's a bit of an adjustment period um, as we go through that transition. So we don't actually need carbohydrates. But there are certain types of exercise that absolutely would benefit from having carbohydrates. Um, Anything um, that is anaerobic in nature, so like sprinting, running, anything that requires short bursts, high-intensity exercise, um, that type of activity, uh, you're going to do better having carbohydrate in your your life. Mm. So um, I think the... Going back a few years ago, I guess there was a big saga about, you know, carbs, if you eat too many, they store fat. That process is actually, uh, it, 
think it's about 3% of the diet to carbohydrate that we consume if you're eating in surplus calories mm-hmm. actually can be converted to, to body fat. So uh, what matters most is energy balance. It's, it's really, mm-hmm. really boring. It's not flashy, but you know, calories at the end of the day are what matter the most. So women, men, even like we don't need to be afraid of carbs. What matters most is the energy from the carbohydrates that we, that we're consuming, the energy that we get from protein, the energy that we get from fat. Like if the overall energy intake is less than the amount that we expend, you will have fat loss. So the research is very clear. If once we have equated for the correct amount of calories and you have the correct amount of protein in your diet for your goal, the remaining calories from carbohydrate and fat, it makes very little difference when it comes to fat loss. So if you want fat, great. If you don't and you want carbs, that's great. So uh, it's about finding a balance again that is the sustainable for you. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And speaking of training along those lines, the theory of cardio is, well, it, 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 since fat is my fuel source during cardio, I, I'm, I'm burning fat as opposed to strength training where, where carbohydrates are my fuel source. So dispel that myth for us that, uh, again, going back to cardio burns more fat than, than strength training just based on your energy and, and, and the, the resources you're using there in those activities. Sure. So uh, what matters most is your 24-hour energy balance. So uh, if you have a really high carbohydrate meal um, and then you go and do your activity, what chances are you're probably going to be burning a higher percentage of carbohydrate because that's what you consume. Now, if you had a higher um, amount of dietary fat and now you have more, uh, I guess, triglycerides available, um, your body is going to be burning down or breaking down more of those triglycerides. And those triglycerides leak through various, uh, I guess, chemical reactions in the body. So the amount of carbohydrate that you have or the amount of dietary fat that you have, what you're going to burn is what is available. So if you don't eat any carbohydrate today and you go and do a walk, what is left for the provision of energy? our body fat stores. Mm-hmm. So of course there's going to be fat oxidation. Our body starts to use the fat that we have stored as a provider of energy until we take in carbohydrates and then it's going to go, okay, well now she gave me some carbs. Oh, I'm just going to use that instead. So what matters most is a 24 hour period of energy balance. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I got a question great for you. If, yeah, that was great. Uh, the question I have for you, let's say I, I'm a 25 year old man. And I come to you like 60 years ago, you were. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was funny. Anyway, uh, I'm a a 25-year-old man. I come to you. I'm overweight. I'm about 12 pounds overweight. Can you walk me through the step-by-step of I want to lose, you know, 15 pounds? Do I need to go get a blood panel? Give me me a step-by-step of of what you are going to look at to help me reach those goals. Mm-hmm. Shameless plug, Fat Loss Forever and the Complete Conscious Prep Guide, our book will tell you exactly this. Yep. For anyone. There we go. Well, we, we got you. We showed this earlier, but we got you. No, we, we got, got you, girl. We, we, hey, <laughs> we got Dr. Hey, Norton's book here. We are not here. playing around. 
Best best fat loss book I've ever read. Okay, so first thing I want to do is read the book. No. Um, <laughs> She's like, I keep hearing that. I, I should probably read it. <laughs> I would be looking at like your current activity levels. I would be looking at your current weight. I would be looking at your current calorie intake. Uh, if you don't know that, I would just say, hey, go track for a week and I want it report back to me and I'll have a look at a food diary and see what you're actually consuming. Um, from there, if, if your metabolism was in a really good place, I gave that range before, you know, if you're eating somewhere between 30 to 40 calories per kilogram of lean body mass, that's not bad. That's, so we can probably start a diet. Um, Depending on your time frames, uh, that's always something that you need to consider. Like, how long do I have? Um, if I have the option of an open, you know, an open calendar, we can take as long as we need. I'm going to pick a weekly rate of weight loss that is not greater than one percent per week. The reason I would be choosing that amount of weight or less is because that is a safe, sustainable uh, rate of weight loss. It's not going to jeopardize nearly as much lean body mass loss as a weekly rate of weight loss that is higher than 1%. Um, what we tend to see is that if you diet and do crash diets, extreme diets, you're going to lose a lot more muscle mass and you're going to have significant, I guess, negative impact on your metabolism. So a slower weight of weight loss is better. Um, I would probably look at your time frame and I would say, all right, let's put some diet breaks in there. If you can, not only from the physiological breaks, Dieting, like dieting is physically exhausting if you're doing a lot of exercise, but also the psychological break as well. Like you want to be able to take a week and go, oh, thank God, I've got that weekend where I'm going away, uh, big family thing, or there's a lot of social events where I want to be able to eat and not say no, we'll take a diet break. So we take your calories back up. Um, and I would, I guess, in, um, implement that over however long it would take to get to your 15 pounds. Now, if you got to a point where you're like, oh my God, I can't sustain this any longer. The calories are too low. Or I say to you, these calories are too low. We would tackle the remaining uh, body fat at a second phase. I wouldn't push you below a certain amount uh, because it just gets to the point where it's just super uncomfortable and just not practical. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there are a lot of, so many considerations to this. <laughs> yeah, so so I I want to make sure everyone hears us say this is that we are absolutely pushing our listeners to uh, join Carbon um, the app, uh, join uh, Carbon Diet Coach the app. Sorry, yeah. joincarbon.com as a website. Great tool that you guys have that you guys have created, um, and then coaching obviously go go with coaching. But Holly, talk us through. Maybe just some listeners that are like, I don't, I don't really have um, the means or desire to hire a coach to coach me through this. What are some just helpful tips to reduce caloric intake on a daily basis? Whether, you know, whatever tricks there are. You mentioned one, put the snacks on a higher shelf if you're, so they're not within reach. Um, what yeah. are some other tips to just, hey, cut, cut calories? I think taking a look at your current uh, food choices and maybe giving yourself a small increase in dietary protein, so adding in more lean protein sources like fat-free products um, that are rich in protein, so dairy is a super easy way, like there's a lot of fat-free dairy products, mm. um, increasing your protein intake um, has a positive effect in, um, I guess, energy expenditure, uh, and that is because um, protein is really thermic 
Um, by that, I mean uh, it costs more energy to break down high-protein foods um, and to metabolize them than it does carbohydrate and fat. So just that small shift alone by increasing your protein and reducing your carbs and fat choices a little bit, that may help positively with weight loss. Um, similarly said, uh, increasing your fiber intake. So maybe you have a lot of really refined foods in your diet, um, just low fiber. I mean, I encourage anybody to, hey, track your food for a couple of days and see how much fiber you're getting because more often than not, the people that report the most amount of hunger um, generally have a very low protein, low fiber diet. So uh, looking for creative ways to add in, you know, more veggies, whether it's in like a stir fry with like a nice sauce, like that will help you feel more satiated. So fiber is really good. Um, reducing the sodium intake in your diet. Um, I had actually put a video up on YouTube about this, but um, it kind of related to the not so bad health risks of sodium as we once thought, but there's a little bit more <laughs> nuance around it. But anyway, sodium can actually increase our sodium intake, our energy intake, um, just because it is making foods more palatable. So if you're already having foods that are high in energy, so um, calorie-dense foods, and they're high in sodium, we'll end up eating more just as a result of that additional salt. So uh, reducing the salt intake in your diet can certainly help uh, reduce the amount of overall calories consumed. Um, what about know. colors? Like I've, I've heard you and Lane talk about colors on a plate, right? Like um, what, 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 explain that. I guess it probably refers back to fiber intake. Um, so different colored vegetables and fruits tend to provide us with different micronutrients. So uh, I guess the greater the diversity of color you can include in your diet, uh, the better your chances are of meeting or adhering to the micronutrient requirements or the RDI. So if you can do that, um, you're probably going to be functioning better overall you have all of the um, important and essential, you know, vitamins and minerals that our body needs to do its job. So if you're constantly just eating, you know, garbage, like we call it, um, I guess, what's the word? Anyway, whatever it is, it's basically like just empty calorie food. So there's no nutrition in them but energy. Mm -hmm. um, Eating a lot of those types of foods, um, not only can they um, result in you feeling really unsatisfied with your meal because they're low in fiber, probably high in sodium, uh, and very energy dense, um, the lack of micronutrients um, over time can lead to deficiencies if you're really struggling with vegetable intake and getting a good diversity of all of the food groups. So color is a really good way, I guess to, yeah. I guess, manage your micronutrient intake. So, yeah. Holly, I love that fact. I mean, see, you hear that, guys? A little color in your life. <laughs> Just a little color in your life is a beautiful thing. Just a beautiful thing. <laughs> Go ahead. Did I miss the point? <laughs> yeah, I think you might. I think you got fixated on one word still, there. Still relevant, though. An another, another couple of myths I want you to dis dispel for us. Assuming I don't have celiac disease and assuming that I'm not lactose intolerant. Oh, here we go. This is the one. <laughs> I wrote this down because we need to talk about this. Go. Talk to us about gluten-free and uh, being scared of dairy. Mm -hmm. um, 
probably I think people like to do a lot of self-diagnosing, but that is usually done out of fear um, and just lack of education about what is actually required for, I guess, being able to manipulate their body composition. So I think a lot of people like to create, uh, I guess, these little fallacies within their mind that hey, if I I heard that eating, you know, dairy is bad for me. I remove that from my diet, somehow I will lose weight. And same thing for, um, I guess, celiac or gluten-free foods. Like that was such a craze maybe six or seven years ago. Um, and I think the people's understanding was that, oh, it might be better for me. But uh, it kind of it goes in line with carbohydrates. Like there, unless you actually have diagnosed celiac disease and you need to eat a gluten-free diet for health reasons, there is no benefit to you by eliminating those foods, period. Mm. Um, if you are doing that because you fear those foods are contributing to um, body weight gain, that is not what is causing body weight gain. It is about 7,000 other things. <laughs> so, um, yeah, unless you have lactose intolerance, you don't have the enzyme lactase that breaks down lactose, um, avoiding dairy is absolutely pointless. Thank you. Thank you. Another thing I caught on Tyler's phone the other day was he was Googling fit teas and skinny teas. <laughs> we talked about not telling anybody that I was looking those up. So he, he was looking at his in, favorite Instagram models and they were selling skinny teas. So talk to us about skinny tea. I feel like that's what's true. <laughs> Skinny teas. Uh, I don't know about that, honestly. I, I've never heard of skinny teas. Um, no, uh, I look into the, the category of BS. It, uh, it's like... <laughs> You're terrible. It, it's just garbage. Uh, yeah. it, it is, it is a, a quick fix gimmick product that I think people just want to believe. They desperately want to believe there is something magical out there. Mm. And until more scientists get out in the public and the social media and kind of disprove a lot of this stuff, uh, it's probably going to continue for a little while. But I, I really believe that there are a lot more uh, educated people today with the platform that is now available to us. And I hope that all this jargon, like isogenics, like what are all those like multi-level uh, marketing like schemes? Oh, yeah. Like they're bullshit. Like, but but you, you can own your own, you can own your own business. You can have flexible work hours, and you can have you can make a great living doing it. <laughs> That's an inside joke. We uh, that we a multi level marketing inside joke. Yeah. Well, Holly, as we wrap, this has been this is awesome. Yeah, amazing, absolutely amazing. The information you brought, the the myth busting. I mean, this has been awesome. I think I would highly encourage everybody to listen to this twice at least, yeah. and have a pen and paper ready because there's so much good information. Uh, here in a second, we definitely want you to plug, uh, continue to plug your personal Instagram, y'all's apps, things like that, because we definitely don't want people to miss that. But mm -hmm. as you look back, one of, the, one of the questions we like to ask all our guests, because we talk about the journey quite a bit. So as you look back over your career, or over your life, whatever one you want to pick or, or focus on, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing, Maybe it was a, a, a belief that you had early on, or maybe it was a point in your life. If you could go back and tell yourself one thing, where would you go and what would you tell yourself? I would definitely be telling myself about the concept or this notion of reverse dieting. 
Um, I know we didn't touch on this at all in today's uh, interview, but I actually suffered from anorexia, bulimia, eating disorder when I was a young mm. athlete. Mm. Uh, had the wrong thing said to me as a little girl, and it went into a spiraling negative, you know, road. And if I could look back now and know about reverse dieting and metabolic adaptation and how our metabolism can also respond in a positive way if you give it time and patience and trust that reverse dieting process, um, things would have been turned around for me um, so, so much faster. I, I struggled with that for many, many years, probably 10 years. And once I found that concept, implemented it, implemented it many times, it changed my life mm. and it has changed thousands of people's lives. Mm. With me alone, I probably worked with over yeah. a thousand with changed lives, saved lives. People with eating disorders and mental health saved lives. So that is probably the one thing that I wish that I knew and was educated about as a young girl. So yeah. that's Mm. That is awesome. And you know what? We said that was the last question. No, you just opened up a can of worms. We got to we gotta go back on and revisit that right now. Uh, let's talk about anorexia. Uh, and let's talk about some of the conversations you've had. I'm sure you've had with, uh, with a lot of young ladies uh, around the country. Give us a, uh, I'm sure again, give us a, a, a recent conversation you may have had with someone to, to build that confidence back. anything specifically right now but I did have an instance just the other day on social media um, a gal who I don't think meant to be offensive um, but she made a, a really insensitive very rude comment about my weight gain I think she had not um, followed my, my process and is probably uneducated um, but it was very nasty now me now as an adult like no skin off my back like it didn't bother me but I do have an issue, I think, with uh, online like cyberbullying and just generally being a dick. So, um, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about uh, mental health. Um, there, are, we could have a whole another podcast. I was going to say, I, I, I do feel like one. that opened up another another <laughs> yeah. episode. Have yeah. you on for sure? Um, you know, I I really am a big advocate. I think for um, using your words for good and for the better, not just being you know, insensitive and not thinking about what you say because for someone like me, um, you know, I have experience doing what I do. I have knowledge and education about the processes and, you know, how we go about getting to a certain place uh, when it comes to body composition. So many people do not have those skills or those tools to be able to cope. So um, I, I got on my social media the other week and uh, really just talked about like online bullying, prevalence of eating disorders, prevalence of uh, depression and a bunch of other things. And um, yeah, I think if there's one lasting thing that I could say is like, it's not okay to be an ass. Like mm -hmm. just be nice to people and, you know, use your platforms and your knowledge for the good because you can make a big difference to somebody's life um, without even knowing it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what encouragement do you have if somebody's listening to this and they are struggling with, with anorexia and e eating disorder? Disorders, any eating yeah. disorder. What, what encouragement do you have for the, somebody listening right now? Uh, just find somebody that you vibe with that is 
qualified to deal with eating disorders, so professional help. Um, even me, like my qualifications are in the dietetics community, whilst I have personal experience working with that. Um, that's not my that's not my area of expertise. So I always say, you know, speak to the professionals. Like, you know, I expect you to come for me for nutrition advice. Don't come to me, don't come to me for medical advice. You know, you're not going to ask your GP about like sport. You're going to, you know, go to your coach for that. So I think staying in your lane, pick somebody that you vibe with. If you don't like somebody the first time you speak with them, okay, that's fine. Find another professional that you can talk to and communicate with because uh, I think there's a huge value in just having conversations and discussions. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Well, Holly, thank you so much for your mm-hmm. time today. Uh, I hope you guys uh, have a great time with the family that you have in town. And, uh, you know, as we just mentioned, we, there's, I think, some follow-up with both you and Lane on this, and we'd love to have you guys on again because, man, there's knowledge bombs yeah. left and right. Pl- plug your uh, personal Instagram, your website, your apps, anything that you want to – that people can find more information from you. Sure. Um, I am most active on Instagram and my YouTube. So my Instagram is Holly T. Baxter. Um, my YouTube is exactly the same. Um, as far as products, uh, we just launched our brand new nutrition coaching app, which is Carbon Diet. Um, we have uh, tons of educational books, um, which is taking the latest science, uh, consolidating it and making it easy to understand for the lay person. Um, so to find that, literally just go to the biolanestore.com. So mm-hmm. literally www.biolanestore.com. Perfect. And you can find Awesome. Yeah, just Google. Just Google Holly Baxter or Dr. Lane Norton, and I'm sure you'll yeah. find a lot of sources. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Holly, you've been great, and we we appreciate you spending the time with us, with educating us again. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we will have you back on the show uh, as soon as possible. Thanks again for your time. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, guys. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you, Holly.